Now, for those of you who were here three weeks ago, Johnny Burns introduced his sermon with a story about golfing against me. <laughs> and he mentioned how fun it was to beat me by two or three strokes and how much better it felt to beat me by eight or nine. <laughs> that next Friday, we ended up playing against each other in a little golf match. We got to the 18th hole, and he had a four-foot putt to tie me. Now, I have never prayed for a sporting event that I participated in. I have never prayed for something I was doing. And Johnny stood over that putt, and I will confess, Lord, if you would find it in your gracious will to have Johnny miss this putt, I will be grateful. Now, some of you probably have a sense of what happened. He stood over the putt, he hit it, it hit the hole, and then bounced out. I beat him by one straight up. Now, for those of you who understand handicap indexes, I actually beat him by nine. And yes, Johnny, it feels great. You are exactly right. Now, Johnny and I have agreed that this is enough about golf. <laughs> so no matter what happens in future matches, you will not hear a thing. <laughs> my brother David and uh, my sister-in-law Melinda, in fact, they said they were gonna be here in town. They were part of our church family for about three years. Are they here? Oh, there you are. So they were part of our church family about, about three years. David had some business, and they mostly come to see uh, uh, their kids and grandkids that live in the area. But we get a little time together, and uh, uh, we always spend time remembering. I've known David for literally 62 years. And we were talking last night. Uh, we go back with Melinda over 42. Because Julie and I, we were talking about, we remember David bringing her to our apartment while we were in seminary and we met her. So we got over 42 years of remembering. And every time we get together, we remember. And remembering's good. Birthdays and anniversary, going back. Now there is implied and understood for the four of us when we talk about memories, please understand this, God's in it all. In the good and the bad. And we talk about the past, but we also talk about the present. Because God's faithfulness, his love, looking at the past, fills us in the present. When we look at what God has done for us now over these decades, what it also does is inspires hope for the future. Remembering is a good thing. Now, we're in this text this morning where Paul is going to encourage us to remember. You remember how we began this letter? Paul is just coming out of his shoes with excitement as he's contemplating the role God has had in our salvation from before, 
before time began into eternity past. And he's got that one long sentence, you remember, that went on and on and on just describing it. He's writing to believers. He's writing to those who treasure Christ. And if you're here today and you haven't yet decided to choose, you haven't chosen yet to follow Christ, we're grateful you're here. And I promise you, though these words weren't written directly to where you are in your spiritual journey, I guarantee you they'll apply. And you'll understand more fully again who this Jesus is. But he's got this exuberance. And so he writes to those of us who already love him. And he wants us to experience more. More peace when the stuff hits the fan. More joy when life is challenging. More joy when the country has got challenges and we look around the world. He wants us to be filled with more of God. So it's in this exuberance. And what he's going to tell us in this text again is specifically, I want you to remember that you might find even more happiness in Jesus. Therefore, based upon everything I've told you from chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 10, here's what I want you to do now. Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made by the flesh of hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, but, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace. He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Father, 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 Father. Paul says some things that maybe first reading are just not easy to understand, but I pray again you'd keep me true to what you inspired Paul to communicate with these words. And though we're nearly 2,000 years later from when these words were penned, they apply just as much today as ever. So speak to our minds, speak to our hearts. I ask your Holy Spirit again to do that, which I'm not really capable of. I appreciate that I'm part of your plan, and my, my hope is that I'm an instrument of your grace, but it's only your spirit that can really touch our minds and hearts. So use the text again that Paul was encouraged by you to write to stir our minds and our hearts and to see a little more fully your grace. That's our prayer. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So, remember the past. Two ideas in this text. Here's the first one. Remember the past, but because before Jesus, we were all, if you're a Gentile, in a world of hurt that the Jews were not in. Follow this. If you're Jew ethnically, this is written to Gentiles. Personally, individually, each of us was spiritually dead. That's where he just came from at the beginning of chapter 2. Now, what I want to do here this morning, if I can, and it's a challenge, is to try and give us a big sense of the primary flow of Paul to this point. Chapter 1, verse 3, through that whole chapter, God's miraculous work in us individually transforming us. Then we got to chapter 2, and verses 1 through 10 are about that individual change. You following me here? Each of us individually, personally, what God did spiritually. And you get to chapter 2, and he starts with, you were dead. Now, we talked about this two weeks ago. This is all coming back. I'm not going to go back. We were spiritually dead. We were walking dead people. And he gives that great description. You were stuck in the sins of uh, uh, trespasses. You were following the prince of the power of the air. Your, your earthly desires were controlling you. Y'all remember that? We were dead, each one of us individually. And he's building on that now as we get to chapter 2, verse 11. 1, 1 through 2, 10, what's going on to us individually? Now he's going to help we Gentiles understand in God's sovereign plan, though, ethnically, we were distant from God. The Jews were the chosen people. How many of you have heard that the Jews were the chosen people? You got that, right? So we're going to talk about that a little bit because that's Paul's point here as he writes to we Gentiles. Now, if you go back to Genesis 12, here's where the Jews get chosen. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the, fam all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And there God promises all kinds of kids. He's going to have as many descendants as there are stars in heaven. You all remember that? So who was chosen at this time? Johnny? Well, who's chosen at this time? Abram and his ethnicity. Those who follow from him. That's God's plan. Wow. Here's my description. I wrote it out because I wanted to be very price, uh, very specific, precise. When we talk about the Jews are chosen, the Jews are chosen, I've asked lots of people over the years, so what does that mean? And it feels like to me it's pretty vague in terms of our understanding. Because clearly all the Jews are not chosen to have salvation. So here's my best description when we say the Jews were chosen. The Jews were chosen by God to be the people through a unique and special relationship that nobody else at the time had. Nobody else. Nobody. 
God chose these puny people that if you were picking a football team, you would have never picked them. Chosen by God are the people with whom he had a special relationship in order to reveal himself and provide a savior for everyone. That's what they were chosen for. You guys follow me and trust me, it's going to be great. How well did they do? Go back and read the Old Testament. Not very well. But that was the plan. Now, remember the past. Before Jesus, we were in a world of hurt. So ethnically, we were distant from God. The Jews were the chosen people. Now, in the text there, Paul's going to give six descriptions of where we Gentiles were before Jesus. First four are pretty precise, and then he's going to generalize them and summarize them. Uncircumcised, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. In summary, before Jesus, you Gentiles had no hope. Why? Because God didn't choose you. He chose the Israelites to be the people through whom he would reveal himself, reveal his grace, and reveal his love. And ultimately send a savior from that. Because that's where you were. If you were a Gentile. Before Jesus. Now, let's look at the text. Therefore, remember, at one time, you Gentiles, the first time he's referenced us by name, as we've gone through the text, he said you and us, reference to Gentiles and Jews, but here he makes it most specific. At one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. You Gentiles weren't circumcised by what is called the circumcision. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but I think Paul is being here sarcastic. Here's what he's trying to do for the Gentiles. You're not second-class citizens because you've not been circumcised. You're called the uncircumcised, because you are, by the Jews who claim they love Christ, who are insisting that Gentiles be circumcised. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that's an unpleasant thought on lots of levels, the biggest one of which is spiritually you're adding to the gospel of Christ. But this was a big issue in the early church. And so I think it's very likely that these Ephesian believers who were Gentiles, the, the, the Jews who claimed to love Christ who are insisting they be circumcised, they're feeling like they're second-class citizens. Here's what his point is. You had no connection. You weren't a Jew to being circumcised. You, you didn't grow up with that. You didn't have access to that, and which is made by in the flesh uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. And I think what Paul's saying here is, uh, he's trying to emphasize that, that, that this isn't a spiritual designation. Now, what we're going to talk about here, and I'm going to give you a clue, and you probably already know it. We're never going to be a Jew ethnically. But spiritually, that's what he's talking about. We actually get folded in to the Jewish family. So, we're not, any of us, Gentiles going to be a, a, a Jew by being circumcised physically, but yeah, spiritually? And Paul talks about that other, ways, other places. Remember that you were at times separated from Christ, and I think here he means mostly just the truth of the Messiah, the promise of the Messiah. You didn't have access to it. Why? Because you weren't a Jew. 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You weren't connected to the chosen people. You didn't have a relationship. Uh, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. God made this promise to Abraham. He made covenants with Isaac, Jacob, with David. You're Gentiles. You didn't, it, you didn't get it. You were outside of that. And then having no hope. Before Christ, if you were a Gentile, you had no spiritual hope. That's where it was. Because you were without God. How many Gentiles do we have here this morning? Can I see the hands? Yeah, this applies to almost all of us then. I think it has extraordinary consequence for us. Let me assure you, this was a really big deal 30 years after Jesus had ascended into heaven when they first get this letter. This is a stinking big deal. We look at the past and we remember, are we going to stay in the past in terms of looking at our sin? No. One of the risks with going back and thinking about our sin is we can go back and go, oh, oh. Oh, that's not what this is about. This is about going back that we might celebrate the present and have more hope for the future because of the past. So we celebrate the present because now in Christ. I told you, remember when we were back in Ephesians 2, 1, that's the biggest button in the Bible? It is. Second biggest is right here. How are our lives radically transformed? Personally, individually. Remember, that's where Paul started this letter. 1-3 through 2-10. God's work in each of us began before creation extends into eternity. Chapter 1. Chapter 2. God's work in each of us produces a radical transformation. This is what we looked at two weeks ago. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked from the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up where we sit now and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ. Individually, we were dead, now made alive. Through chapter 2, verse 10. Back to 11 now, he has gone to more of this ethnic 
context of what he's talking about. Celebrate the cousin because now in Christ we enjoy all the benefits. So how are our lives radically transformed? Jesus. Is there a surprise? Jesus. Jesus changes everything. We are now brought near to God and we get to enjoy what the Jews were promised because of Jesus. We don't get it because we're Jewish. We get it because of Jesus. And he chose this one particular people to have this special relationship with that through that, everybody would see the truth of who he is. And through that people, a a Messiah would come into the world. No missing this. The cross is the centerpiece of world history. And I don't want to separate the resurrection. The resurrection is always understood as accompanying the cross. But God himself coming into this world, becoming one of us, taking on our sin, taking the wrath of God for us. Guys, this is the centerpiece of history. It changes everything. By the blood of Christ, Jesus is our peace. And then he's going into an idea that he's going to be developing into chapter 3. The Jews and Gentiles are made one. The way he states it in Romans is we Gentiles are grafted in to Israel. And we get to enjoy all the promises that God made them. Now, in a world filled pretty much since the beginning of time with ethnic prejudice, this is huge. Now, if you go back and read Acts, those early Jewish believers wrestled a little bit with what to do with us. 2,000 years later, it feels sometimes like we think that primarily Jesus came as a result of the Gentiles. This is a Gentile thing. Jesus came from the Jews because they were his chosen people, chosen to be a people from whom he would come and the gospel would go to everybody. What's very disappointing is it doesn't feel like to me most who are Jews ethnically understand that. But if you go back and read Romans 9, 10, and 11, it's Paul's big point there. Paul's big point in Romans 9, 10, and 11 is he writes to to Gentiles in Rome who are wrestling with, why should we follow this Jesus who came from the Jews when the Jews in mass are rejecting him? In chapters 9, 10, 11, Paul Romans, he's saying that's exactly why you should believe in this Jesus. Go back and read the Old Testament. It's exactly what God said would happen. His people are going to reject him. So the fact that they have ought to break our hearts 
but a simultaneously evidence because God said that's exactly what's going to happen. But now, you know I love y'all, right? You guys get that? In Christ. How many times if Keith were here, he would have counted it up and he'd have given you a number and you'd have been impressed. <laughs> How many times in the chapter 2 have we read in Christ? That one little preposition is filled with so much meaning. In Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near. Who is he referencing here? Gentiles. Brought near by the blood of Christ. Don't diminish the resurrection, but it's his death. That's where he pays for all the I got a lot of words running through my head. I'll just say bad stuff. <laughs> Every bit of it. For he himself is our peace. He's our peace with God. When we get set right with God, when we were dead and made alive, we're just different. We have a peace with God that gives us a peace in this life because our identity isn't in our marital status, our occupation, what kind of car we drive, how good a golfer we are. It's in Jesus. I was spiritually dead and he made me alive. That's where that peace comes from. And because we have that peace in Jesus, that peace in God, this peace inside ourselves, you know what we do? We promote peace wherever we go. It's what we do. Because he's made us both one. Gentiles, every other ethnicity, every other one. And Jews, he's made us one. He's broken down in his flesh on the cross, the dividing wall of hostility that's always there. Just Google wars rooted in ethnicity. The Holocaust, we've been involved in uh, Kosovo. Remember the Serbs were coming in. Look at enough racial prejudice in our country. Slavery, what's going on? Right now you look at the Middle East. Y'all get it, right? Abraham was told he's going to have a child. He's going to help God out. Sarah offers her some Hagar. They have a son named Ishmael. Now Ishmael and God promises that they're going to have lots of descendants. Go back and read Genesis. Years later, Isaac is born. Miraculously, Sarah is 90. This is an impressive miracle. See what's going on over there in Israel right now? All descendants of Abraham. 
Ishmael and Isaac? We get this peace with Jesus. We just don't look at people the same. We're not to try to compare ourselves. We're not to try and make ourselves better. We're not trying to make them worse so we can feel better about ourselves. Changes everything when you get Jesus. Changes everything. Broke down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances. All this law that came in the Old Testament, which was to be an expression of faith, as God continues to reveal who he is and help the Israelites understand that they need a savior because they could never keep the law perfectly, and yet most of the Jews turned it into a way of justifying themselves. It's just what we human beings often tend to do. Jesus fulfilled it. You don't have to follow it anymore. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised? Oh, come on, a little more enthusiasm, particularly if you're like a 65-year-old male. No! No! That stuff all been fulfilled in Jesus. That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. And he might reconcile us both to God. The Jews who believe and the Gentiles who believe. They were not all chosen to get into heaven. They were chosen to be an ethnic group through whom God had a special relationship to reveal himself. Everybody is, recognized, is, is reconciled through Jesus. Everybody sees that? Jews and Gentiles. Reconcile us both to God in one body through, again, the cross. Jews, Gentiles. How do they get into heaven? Jesus. Thereby killing the hostility. Now, I love that word. You see it there? Killing. We used to be dead. Now we're alive. But in us, that hostility has been killed. Because Jesus' peace is what fills us. The hostility, it's gone. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off. Who's that? Oh, come on. Some audience participation. Who are the far off people? You can say Gentiles or you can say us, unless you're Ken Birkenstein. Hi, Ken. Nice to see you, brother. <laughs> and those who were near, Ken and the Jews, both are saved through the cross. For through him, Paul just can't say this enough, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. <sighs> now we're going through this in my estimation really quickly. There is so much meaning in this. So much truth, so much depth. <sighs> That's how everybody has access to God. Jew and everybody else. 
So Paul's going to go on with this in chapter 3. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, what he's revealing, which was not made known to the sons of man in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. These guys didn't get this as fully. He's saying is, I get it. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I told you when we began these series, this series, and I, 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 when I was a young man, before I came to faith, but the Jews are a big deal, I remember thinking, it'd be cool to be a Jew. I don't have that sign made by human hands, as Paul said, but I actually am. So are you. The true Israelites. Remember Paul said in Romans uh, at 9, not all the physical descendants of Abraham are actually his true descendants. He says this in Galatians. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. How many sons of Abraham do we have here? Sons and daughters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'm not Jewish ethnically, but in terms of what God promised to Abraham and all those descendants back there, I'm in. So are you in the true, oh, yes, you ought to applause. How cool is that? All those promises. Abraham lived roughly 4,000 years ago, and God's been doing his 4,000 years for pity's sakes. And we're in. Whoops, I didn't read that whole thing, did I? And the scripture, foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall the nations be blessed. And so, the, so then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, if you go back and read Genesis, it's in Genesis 15 where he, Moses writes about him. He believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. Genesis 15, he's saved. The sign of circumcision didn't come until Genesis 17. God's plan. Want you to understand? People are saved by faith. That's what saves them. All right. Where do they get all these ideas? Well, ultimately from Jesus. You worship what you do not know. This is Jesus with the woman at the well where she's trying to distract him because he's made her uncomfortable asking some questions. Go get your husband. You remember that part? And it goes on, do we worship him on this mountain or in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. This is important, I think, to helping us more fully understand the gospel, to appreciate our faith a little more fully, to get God's grace a little bit more meaningfully, to get a little happier. For salvation is from the Jews. And spiritually, because of faith, we're a part of the true Israel. So, the power of remembering. We look to the past, not to wallow in it. We look to the past. We see these memories. We see God's faithfulness in the good times and in the challenging. And it gives us more confidence in the present. and increases our hope for the future. It makes us more optimistic when we look back. Now, I've known some people that look back over their life in high school sports. And they, you know, I've heard people say, hey, I just wish I could go back. I pray that is never true for anyone here ever, no matter how old we get. I wish I could play golf against Johnny when I was his age. <laughs> he got beat by a guy, I don't know, 
35 years older. That has nothing to do with the sermon. You all understand that? This is where I freelance, and when I get home, if my wife's in the service, but she's not here, so I'm never going to hear about it. She says, don't do that. The power of remembering, going back, looking at this, none of us, I don't want any of us to go back to where we were. I don't care how old we are, because Jesus' promise for us is that it's better going forward. It's about ongoing spiritual transformation. You know, we get this idea of ongoing spiritual transformation. You guys know where we get it? We get it from the Bible. You've been reading chapter 1. He's writing to people who already treasure Christ. And he knows that there's this infinite experience of joy in Jesus we can have. So it increases our humility. I came to faith. How much God was involved in my salvation was a pretty limited understanding when I treasured Christ. Now, let me tell you. I treasured Christ. I saw the reality of who he was, and I was all in. Part of the reason I talk about this, mostly I talk about this because the biblical authors write about this OST. And I'm here, I've been walking with Christ 40 years. I chose him all out, I did. But my growing understanding of what he was doing, experiences, deepens my experience of his life. I choose, I still choose every day. Every day I choose to follow Christ. Mm, but I got somebody working in my life that empowers me to make that choice. Intensifies our appreciation of God's forgiveness. I look back oftentimes and I see things in my life that I didn't recognize at the time were that distasteful to God. Power of remembering. I don't ever stay there, ever. It just helps me more fully appreciate. And when I came to faith, guys, I got it. I just keep growing in that. Amplifies our boasting in Jesus. I got one thing that I hope, as long as RCC is around, and I hope it's till Jesus returns, one thing we talk about. It ain't about how great our church is. It ain't about how dull the lead pastor is. It's about Jesus. That's our center. That's our anchor. That's our foundation. And the more full picture we get of how significant Jesus' arrival and his death in this world were, the more we talk about and infuse our devotion to sharing Jesus' love with others. When I came to faith, I became pretty immediately passionate about sharing this with other people who loved them. I want to get more. And people who don't love them, I want them to have what I have. Because it's fabulous. Are there challenges? Absolutely. But Jesus is my peace. And that changes everything. Got to share that with folks. Ought to destroy for those who love Christ. And you see all in capitals. I think it can manifest in subtle forms. Particularly in the church, but anywhere. Anywhere. People who love Christ are just not prejudiced. Any questions? Clear enough? Do we have different ethnicities that I notice? Yeah! 
Every one of those folks is uh, somebody created in the image of God who needs to meet Jesus. I'm going to go back. If you have Jewish friends particularly that haven't yet chosen to love Christ, please don't ever give up on them. Trying to help them understand that we're spiritually Jewish. That's the idea. Now, be careful and don't offend anyone. <laughs> then unity in his body. We're going to see this as we go through the text, particularly when we get to chapters 4, 5, and 6. This is a stinking big deal to God. We're human. None of us are in the glorified state yet. We all have preferences about all kinds of things. We're not going to fight over it, whatever it is. We're going to share our preferences. We're going to talk about our ideas. Are we going to fight over it? I read way too often about churches and particularly church leaders that fight over things. Ain't good. We're going to share our different ideas. We're going to talk about them in love. And we're going to agree our priority. Let me, what is our priority? Mm, I can't think of it. What's our priority? Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And nothing ever is going to get in the way. Of Jesus. Ever. Lord, thanks for loving us. Thanks for working in our hearts. Thanks for revealing so much through the Apostle Paul. There is so much truth in this letter. So much truth in all of your word. Father, we're grateful for this plan that you put together. We're grateful that you chose Abraham and his descendants to be the folks with whom you had this special relationship. And it's a record of that relationship that we learn about you. And it's from this people oh, that your son came. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for loving all the folks in the world. Jews, Gentiles. Father, fill us with your love and use us, continue to use us as instruments of your grace, of your glory, of your mercy, of your forgiveness and your love. Fill us, Father, fill us with your peace.